Hey, everybody. Thanks for being here. Thanks for tuning in. I am so appreciative. It's been an incredible year and uh, we've grown. We're in new countries and I want to thank you, everybody out there in our audience. And we're going to have an incredible conversation today about purposeful growth in both leadership and in business and really how to bring our faith more, I think, fully into the work that we do but also tie that into not just business, but management and leadership and who we need to be to be able to actually be part of an awakening and a revolution in business that I believe is happening right now. So to do that, I brought on, uh, asked Mark Mears to join us today. So Mark, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, John. I'm so glad to be here with you and your listeners. Well, it's exciting to have you. So um, you're a best-selling author, your book is The Purposeful Growth Revolution, Four Ways to Grow from Leader to Legacy Builder. And this is a shift that I think is really important. And I love your framework. It's L-O-V-E. And folks, we're going to be digging into what this framework actually is and why it's so important. But you do a lot of speaking and consulting. Right now, you're the Chief Growth Officer at Leaf Growth Ventures, uh, consulting firm. You guys are expiring teams and organizations to do exactly what we're going to be talking about today. And you've also spent some time at a couple uh, small companies in, in your careers. You've come up, let's see, uh, we got Pepsi, Pizza Hut, McDonald's, Frito-Lay. We just talked about some of your time at Noodles and Company, JCPenney. They're not even around anymore. So that dates you a little bit, Mark. Uh, NBC Universal and Cheesecake Factory. But man, you got such a wide range of experience. And what I like about this, and, and I want to make sure we bring this into the interview. You know, a lot of people I know, we work at larger companies. How do we have an influence when it almost feels like there's larger bureaucracy? And I know, because I've seen it, I've done it myself, I've coached people that have done it. You can have a profound influence in any organization, wherever you are in the org chart, because leadership, it is not a position. It is a lifestyle. It is a choice. Um, but with that, Mark, I'd love for you to share maybe a little bit about kind of your journey and kind of what brought you to, I think, this place of saying, you know what, we need to do leadership a little differently. Thanks, John. And I appreciate the warm introduction. Um, I, it, it's been a journey. I like that uh, you said that. And it's not over yet. Um, it's uh, just getting started. Uh, matter of fact, uh, this book has really opened up a whole new vista uh, as I look at the back half of my life and career. And uh you know, I came up with my own purpose statement. Um, I feel like uh, I got to drink my own Kool-Aid, right? Um, and it's, I don't want to just make money and retire. I want to make a difference and inspire. And that means making a difference in the lives of others and inspiring them to want to do likewise. So it creates this kind of virtuous cycle of reciprocity or what I call paying it backward. And why I call it paying it backward, people say, Mark, didn't it pay it forward? And I said, no, here's why. Because I'm a big growth junkie. I love growth in all of its forms, um, spiritual, relational, personal, and professional. But I got to admit, John, I'm also a coffee junkie and indeed a Starbucks junkie. So when I go to the drive-thru, I will pay for the car behind me. And uh, I'll get up to the window and I'll tell the person, I want to pay for the car behind me, but can you do me a favor? And I'll say, yeah, what? And I'll say, just tell them, God bless you. Your debt has been paid. And then I'll drive off and I'll say a silent prayer for that person behind me. I don't know them. They don't know me. I don't know what they may be going through, but I got to believe in that moment. They feel blessed that somebody thought enough of them to buy their coffee or whatever they purchased. 
And I also have to well, believe. I love that, that language, though, because it's specific. Yeah. You know, the, the barista at Starbucks is going to repeat it, but just say, hey, the guy in front of you, he, he said your debt's been paid. And it just plants, you never know what, that's a, just a little seed that gets planted. Exactly. Know, that might be that, that one thing they needed to hear that day. I, I really like that. God bless you. Your debt has been paid. Imagine having somebody tell you that. It's not about the cup of coffee. I mean, you got the blessing of the cup of coffee and you didn't have to pay for your drink or meal that day, but somebody said words to you and you don't know who they are. Mm -hmm. So someone was speaking to you and you got to believe that barista was blessed and you got to believe they probably told people, hey, there's this guy that just drove through and did this. And then I don't know, there's maybe more people in the car who may have heard it or if they went and took the coffee to work, they may have said something. Hey, you know what happened to me this morning? This guy, you know, blessed me with a cup of coffee and said, God bless you. Your debt has been paid. So I call it paying it backward for two reasons. One, I I physically can't pay it forward. The car in front of me is already driven off, right? But also it's this idea there's a law of reciprocity that says if someone does something nice for you, you feel a deep urge to do something nice for somebody else. And oftentimes in greater measure. So now they're probably thinking, I want to pay for the car behind me. And I've heard that this happens. And I'll go back to Starbucks and they'll go, oh, you're that guy. And I was like, well, what happened when I left last week? Go, yeah, yeah. We had four cars in a row pay for uh, each other's coffee before there was a break. And so there is a ripple effect to our actions. And I don't call it a random act of kindness. We so often hear about, especially during the holidays, where the spirit moves you to do something randomly I believe it's an intentional act of kindness. I do it every time. And I feel like this is one of the little tiny things that I can do every time I go there. Because, you know, if I just got my own copy and went about my day, that'd be fine. But if I do something kind for others and I inspire them to want to do likewise, I'm living up into my purpose. I'm growing into my purpose. I'm not, it's not just a bunch of empty words or platitudes. I try to say, if that's my purpose, what can I do every day to not just make money and retire, but make a difference and inspire? Okay. So connect this for me. So that's what it looks like paying it backwards yep. in line at Starbucks. What would it look like going into work at Frito-Lay or down at the family owned company I work at here with, you know, 50 or a hundred employees? Yeah. I mean, for me, it's taken me a long time to really understand this. While it's been there all along, maybe hidden in plain sight, it comes down to the first two commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love others as I first loved you. And so love is the connective tissue that binds us all together. And I don't care if you're in a spousal relationship, or you have kids and you love your kids or your family, or maybe your friends or neighbors, but it's practically going through a model that I've developed based on the acronym love. And it starts with listen and observe and value and empower. So everyone listening can do this. You know, we talk about- So, uh, so listen, L, observe, O- Right. Value. Value others. Yep. And empower. He is empower them. And yeah, you can talk about each one of those areas, but I love that. Yeah. And let me break it down for you because 
you think about where this came from, not only biblical principles, but think of Maslow's hierarchy of needs that we've all studied at some point, right? We have these basic needs to be loved and to give love, right? And we want to feel seen and heard as human beings, right? We want to feel like we matter, we're valued. And so when you say, listen, this is really important. You need to invest in your people. And one of the ways you can invest is through your time. Mm-hmm. And you spend time listening to them. What are they going through, right? Not just the work stuff, right? Which is important, but what are they saying and what are they not saying? So how do you ask good questions to really get to know someone on a more Mark, I got to share a story around that. I'll, I'll never forget. I was coaching <laughs> an executive from oh, one of the largest manufacturing companies in the country, and they do uh, manufacturing for you know the military and defense industry. So this my client I had had 85,000 employees, and this was during COVID, and they had to keep their line going. It was not an option. So everybody had to come into work, and he was sitting there and just raving and just affirming one of the senior executives on his team, a woman, because she was doing such incredible work, right? She's doing this with the line and this with the schedules and da da da, da you know. And I asked him a simple question. I said, well, how's she doing personally? Well, his response was like, well, she must be doing great because she's doing great stuff at work. I'm like, well, how could you find out? He goes, well, maybe I should call her. And I said, great, you do that and let me know. Well, I just had a suspicion that she might be struggling. Well, guess what? He called her and she almost broke down in tears. He had never, because you know what? It's all business. It's all transactional. Like, you know, what are all the project plans? I need an update. I got to go report to the board and the executive committee. Well, her husband was immunocompromised. Their 90-year-old grandmother or his mom was living with them. Every time she came home, she thought she might bring something home that might kill one of the two of them. And she was literally at her breaking point when he made that call. They were on the phone for an hour and a half. Wow. And he just listened and talked with her and they didn't even talk about business. It changed. He called me up. He couldn't believe it. He called me up emotional. This is not the guy. And he said that this was so important. He had 13 direct reports. He's going to clear his calendar and have a conversation like that with every single person that reports to him and encourage his folks to do that with their key people. And it was a game changer. Just a simple focus, like you said, is listen, because you actually well, the other thing is value, right? I'm these all well, work. We'll, we'll get there. We'll get yeah. there. But, you but gotta, that's a you powerful start by story. listening and not yeah. just the work, but how are you as a person doing? Yeah. I, I no, just thought a, that was uh, an amazing lesson for me as the coach and the observer in that. Well, we're whole people, right? And I think of it as a four circle Venn diagram. And I believe, um, you know, we've all heard of Simon Sinek, and I'm a big fan myself of the whole start with why movement. You know, he wants to know, people want to know why you do what you do before they care how you do it, or even what you do, right? Which is great, except for I think he's missing something really important. I believe who is more important than our why, and specifically who we serve. And so there are four realms of service, as as I see it. There's spiritual, there's relational, there's personal, and there's professional. And they're intertwined, and in the epicenter should be purposeful growth. And as a whole person, we're not just a worker. We're not just an employee. That sounds like somebody who wants to, you know, just punch in and punch out, make money and go home. We're team members. And think about, John, I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, man, I love sports and I always wanted to try out for teams. And I remember, 
you know, the coach would say, okay, at 10 o'clock on Tuesday, I'm going to have a note on the board in my office door or my office door of where, you know, who, who was the, the people that made the team and your position and et cetera. And we all would go there and we would see, hey, I made the team. Oh, here's my position. And oh, here's my number. And then we put on that jersey. We felt this sense of kinship. And I know you were in the military. And I'm sure you have stories that you could tell about what it means to be on a team and the sense of duty you have versus just being an employee or a manager. So if you're a whole person, I want to not only listen to you as a whole person, I want to also observe you, right? And being able to coach and mentor in real time, right? Don't wait for the dreaded annual performance appraisal that no one likes, no one does well. Be a nimble coach on the field. Now, I happen to live in Kansas City, the home of the world champion Kansas City Chiefs. I have to rub that in because you're a Broncos fan, and that's okay. And Andy Reid wouldn't wait till the end of the season to coach or observe and encourage. He would do it in real time, every single day, all day, on the field, in film sessions, on game day. And so players have a sense of clarity, and they have encouragement. They have coaching in real time. So if you're observing your team members, you're giving them uh, feedback in real time so they don't have to wait. And then you're valuing them. You're valuing that whole person more than just reward and recognition, which was a great story that you just told, but valuing them as an individual and as a whole person, and then giving them opportunities to grow through empowerment, right? Think again about when we were kids, we learned to ride a bike and we first maybe started with a trike or a big wheel. Then we graduated to a, a real bike, but it probably had training wheels, right? And remember the day the training wheels came off and it was time to ride on your own. Mom or dad or brother or sister pushed you and kind of ran with you. And maybe you wobbled, you fell down a few times and they got you back up. But you remember that sense of freedom that you had when you were able to pedal and steer and stop and start on your own? That's what I mean by empowerment. Now, imagine you're a team member and you're the leader, not the boss. You're a leader because words matter, John. And if you're a leader, you're empowering that team member to be their very best, and you're giving them opportunities to grow and fail, but you're going to pick them up, put them right back on the bike, and you're going to sail them down the sidewalk. And so this idea of love is very practical. It's not some ethereal, namby-pamby, do-gooder, seal-loving, you know, tree-hugging, you know, woke kind of agenda. It's biblical, and it's part of who we are with our, our, our basic needs. And it's also from a research perspective, supported through Gallup, who does the State of the Global Workplace Report every year and reports the lowest levels of engagement in history. We hear about quiet quitting. People don't feel like they're cared about at work. They don't feel they have opportunities to do what they do best. They don't feel they have opportunities to learn and grow. They don't feel there's a connection to the mission or purpose of the company. And they don't have the clarity of expectations. Notice I said feel. I don't care what industry in your, your listeners work in, and it doesn't matter what output they have in their business, right? We're all in the people business, and that means we're in the feelings business. Well, yeah, and like I think, you know, what people used to in business call, you know, consider the soft skills are now the hard skills. Yep. Because think about it, everything Gallup did with all of these surveys and what they've done, 
look at the cost and trillions of dollars of lack of engagement and the cost of turnover and losing employees. Yep. And um, there was a study that came out by McKinsey after this Gallup came out because they were looking at what creates that healthy, positive view of an employee with their first line manager. Yeah. And they actually looked at what are the factors. So 74 percent of basically whether I would, let's say I work for you and I have a good view of you, Mark, is that if I believe that you care about me as a person, think think about what you just said, and then now what the research shows. So one thing, if you're a manager, get to know your people. It's worth taking the time. And I know, you know, I do a lot of work with personality assessments. I will say, because there's no right or wrong here, about half of us are wired to be more transactional. We're focused on the work and we're focused on the to-do list. Think about here's how you know your transaction. You're you're sitting here working on a project or a spreadsheet or an email and somebody comes in to ask you a question and you feel annoyed because you have to break your concentration. You might be transactional. (laughs) The relational people, right? The relationship is first. They would rather, if you come in and I'm working on a project, they can get right back to the project, but they'd rather have the conversation with you first. Both sides have a strength and a weakness. Now, Think about this. If I'm a very relational person and my boss is very transactional, they might have a blind spot. Instead of me creating a narrative that, you know what, Mark doesn't care about me. What if I flip that around in my head? Because God, you know, God also told us to be good followers, right? Yeah. Love yeah. up. It's not just be loved. It's also love up. What if I went to Mark and said, you know what, Mark, I can tell you, you always come in. You never check in with me. You never ask about the kids. You never see how I'm doing. I would appreciate it. I think that would actually help me be more productive on the team if you could do that. Would you mind? I got to tell you, there's times where I've gotten feedback from my team as a leader over 30 years. It was a blind spot. It was affecting my ability to lead the team. It was things I was doing. I didn't realize how it was perceived by others. And every time I have, you know, feedback like that from somebody, I personally have always appreciated it even if i didn't always agree with it yeah i have personally always appreciated it yeah as i say in my book feedback is a gift mm-hmm. until it's given to you <laughs> but no it's a it, it is a gift and it, it takes courage you know imagine the courage of someone coming to tell you hey john you have a few minutes I, i've got something on my mind i'd love to share with you and then giving you feedback you know yep. and it's so important because i've had those same conversations and it's taught me how to be a better leader. Well, let me share one thing on the feedback though, real quick, because I don't want people to feel like, oh, I guess I should just go be bold. You know what? (laughs) The foundation of good feedback is humility. Yeah. And you know what? That could be, I could be wrong. So here's how I would do that. I would go to you and Mark and say, hey, listen, can I share something with you? And listen, this could totally be me. It could be my lens, my filter. It could have nothing to do with you. And can I share this? And I think if you focus on the facts, Right. And you focus on a positive outcome, how it can, you know, maybe help Mark and me. What I have found, it's going to be received so much better. And I just want to put this out there, guys. We did a whole bunch of work recently. You guys have probably heard me talk about the social covenant. And we have something, an incredible resource. And I want you guys to opt into this. So just pull up your phones and go to this and text to 53123. The word social space covenant, C-O-V-E-N-A-N-T. And you're going to get a free resource that we just spent the last six months working on. That's probably one of the best conflict resolution tools I've ever seen. It also helps us to understand and listen. So, Mark, it fits 
perfectly into what what you're talking about, but let, let me let you continue. But we're really excited. oh no no you're you're, you're so good. Five three one two three. Text social covenant to five three one two three. Mark, you can do it too. And yeah, we just created, but it's it is powerful. We think it's a game changer globally. Well, that sounds awesome. I'm going to definitely uh, text and get that uh, resource and and apply it. Uh, I think that's awesome. It, it, most people are, are probably listening and going, "Well, how, where did this come from? You know, mm-hmm. how do we get here?" Well, you know better than me. Uh, I never had the honor of serving in the military, but I have several friends who did, and. Um, the one thing that they'll tell me is, you know, hey, Mark, you've seen, you know, movies and you've seen things. I mean, it's like that. It's like boot camp is real and uh, command and control is real because people's lives are at stake. Right. So we learned when GIs came back from World War II that many of them then in business carried that same kind of management style. And I say management because that's what it is. And we had great leaders that we all looked up to. Those of us of a certain age could remember, you know, Lee Iacocca, who turned around Chrysler, Steve Jobs or Jack Welch at GE. And these people were revered for their tough-minded, results-oriented management style. I emphasize the word management because that's what it is. When you talk about leadership, it's different. Then you do have to enter in the soft skills of getting people to want to follow you. A leader is for me, not a title, it's a calling. And if you're called to be a leader, you have to look at those you lead as more important than you. And, you know, you have to have their best interest at heart instead of, well, they're here to support me and my career aspirations. So let me take it a step further and say, in this new world of work, and you brought up COVID, and I think it's, it's been a timeout, if you will, for all of us to kind of really deeply reflect on not only what, but who matters most in our lives. Whether we maybe contracted it ourselves, maybe someone we loved was hospitalized, or God forbid, we someone we know died as a result of it. And we were all kind of sheltered in place. We Every single day, there was a news story about what's going on. We were fearful about our future. And so when things started to come back, we decided we didn't want to go back to uh, the work environment. A study was done by the Sloan School of Management at MIT, where they interviewed 34 million people and asked them during COVID, why did you quit their work? And they said, number one answer by over 10x over the second most given answer was toxic work environment. And compensation didn't come up until number 16 on the list. So now it's important that managers not only learn how to be leaders, but how to be legacy builders. Because if you reflect leadership in a humanistic way, and and my goal is to help put the human back in human resources, it's called human resources for a reason. But what if we flipped at it on its head and we said, hey, as a leader, how do I provide more resources for my team to be more human versus just a resource? You think about it that way, it's like, oh, we go back to the love model, listen, observe, value, and empower. And that's how you'll be a legacy builder. And I don't mean legacy as it's defined sometimes as something you bequeath after you're dead and gone, or maybe after you've left the company. It's a living legacy. What can you do every single day to be a better leader so that people will want to follow, but then they'll also want to emulate you? We all have mentors or role models, if we think about it, of people that we admire. 
and who we aspire to be. What if that was you? And what if you were able to inspire other people to share their living legacy with others? Wouldn't that be cool? Wouldn't that be a great place to work? Who would want to quiet quit that? Yeah, well, what you're talking about is creating this environment that people want to be there. Yeah. They're valued. You know, the other thing I think about, Mark, is, uh, you know, where's the place that I want to go? If I get invited, I'm like, yeah, I want to go. You know why? Because there's people I like there. My friends are there. And we don't often have that at work. And if you can create an environment as a leader because you care about people, and then you help your people care about each other, and you're developing relationships, it doesn't mean, you know, everybody's the best friend and, you know, you're sure. invite, you know, everybody on the team out to a beer here and there, but I get along with everybody. Yeah. Even just teaching people how to live life unoffended. Yeah. But what could happen? And let me ask you this, as you're looking at kind of the future of business and where things are going from even the culture we have now, whether it's a team lead, a new supervisor, a CEO of a company, or even somebody who's junior on a team, but they start bringing this mindset in. What does this have the potential to do in that person's life? Well, this is a, a wonderful topic. I'm glad you brought it up because I look at business as having four stakeholders. We talk a lot about shareholders, but you think about four stakeholders. And again, I'll go back to that four circle Venn diagram. If you could picture that uh, listeners in your mind, all revolving around purposeful growth, right? There is the team member, right? There is the customer. There is the business partner, and that's anybody in your realm. It could be a shareholder if you're publicly traded. It could be an investor. It could be your banker. It could be your agency partner. It could be your distributor or manufacturing partner. But everybody in your business ecosystem. And then there is the community, the community we serve. And so if you think about that, the team member really comes first because without your team members, you can't serve your customers. And without your customers, your business partners aren't going to be happy. But then if you're not doing everything you can to help make the world better, your community better, you're really letting down a piece of your business model. And so this isn't about at the very end of the year, if we have any leftover, we'll donate it to somebody and we'll send a newsletter out. Everybody will feel good for about a nanosecond. What you're doing is adding purpose to your business. And then if you meld the purpose of each individual into the purpose of the company, now you're cooking with gas. And let me just give you a couple statistics to kind of prove that. And these come from the science of purpose. And they've done study after study about the importance of purpose. And they say the case for purposeful growth among individuals is such that individuals with a connection to their purpose experience 63% more increase in wealth, leadership, effectiveness, and fulfillment. They learn twice as much. They're four times more engaged and are 175% more productive. That's almost wow. two people worth. Now, companies with a connection to their purpose experience higher margins as purposeful firms are 30% more innovative. 73% of customers will switch to higher purpose brands and pay more. There are higher levels of retention and tenure and what we were just talking about, 54% more fulfilling work relationships. Now, that's a pretty strong case for purpose being integrated into your business model, not some cream you can skim off the top if there's something left over, but integrated into your four key stakeholders. And that's when you know you've really got a business model. 
and it's purpose and profit, not purpose or profit. And I can give you case study after case study of companies that do well by doing good. Yeah. And let me ask you a question. So you talked about two areas, right? Purpose individually, which is something right. you need to work on. Purpose as an organization. Mm-hmm. Where do you and how do you bring those two in alignment? Yeah, this I've is always felt is one of the most important purposes of leadership is casting vision. And that includes you having the conversations with your team to get to know them. Yep. So let's say I understand Mark's values. I understand why Mark's here. When Mark succeeds in this role, here's what it does for him both in the company and also what's important to him outside, his parents, his marriage, or whatever it happens to be. And then having the conversation to talk to Mark about how, once I get to understand that, how that fits in with what we're doing here at the company. And yeah. I think that conversation often gets missed, and I'd love your thoughts on it, Mark. Yeah, I'm so glad you brought that up, because going back to that Simon Sinek model and my addition to it, it, starting with who, and specifically who you serve. Imagine I'm in your office, John, and you're asking me, you know, who do you serve? And I'll say, hey, I happen to be a believer of Jesus Christ, and I have a spiritual realm that I serve. And also, here's my uh, relations, my spouse or my family or my friends or my, you know, and then here is my work relationship, my professional part, and here's who I serve here. And then finally, here's who I serve with more on a personal level, my mind, my body, my spirit, my soul. And now I know you on a more, a deeper, more intimate level. And I can now look at you through a lens of love. And then I'll say, okay, now why? Why do you do what you do? And this would be your purpose or your motivations. Wouldn't you as a leader want to know what motivates me? And then we go into the how. And the how I define is how am I uniquely gifted, right? What are my superpowers? What value do I play on the team? Again, it'd be like Andy Reid saying to Patrick Mahomes, hey, you're a pretty good quarterback, but you can't tackle for crap. So we're going to put you on the defensive line for a while to make you more well-rounded. <laughs> now you accentuate the positives. And we say, he's uniquely gifted. He's a unicorn as a quarterback. And so let's put the pieces around him so he can help the team achieve its objectives. And then I finally get to the what. What role do you play on the team? Now, how can I help you be a more effective a team member, right? Imagine that conversation. Imagine if you had a one-on-one, every maybe every month we review that. And the what's there, the what is your role and your your projects and your lists and your deliverables and your timing and your budgets and all that, right? But what if we started with who and then why and then how, and then we'll get to the what? Wouldn't that make for a more relational approach versus, to your point, transactional approach to leadership and legacy building? Well, Mark, I got to tell you, this was modeled to me, my gosh, 25 years ago now by one of the most busy, most capable executives I ever worked for. I was at a Fortune 100 company, technology, sales-driven company. It was a crazy culture. And this guy, his name was John. He reached out to me. He saw my potential. And he made sure that we met for 20 minutes every two weeks. Mm -hmm. It wasn't about my job as a manager. It wasn't about my a forecast. It was we had actually sat down and had a conversation about setting goals in three areas. Think of a Venn diagram, right? Uh, yeah. Right. Number one is the organization, my team, right? You know, what am I going to be held accountable for? Number two, what are the goals that I have for my team? 
how they make decisions, right? How they get along, how they resolve conflict. How do we, you know, those things. And then what are my own personal goals for me to be the leader that gets the results in these areas? And that also incorporated things outside of work. And so here's what I had to do is it was my responsibility every week to show up prepared because we actually boiled all that down to, hey, what are the one or two things we can focus on this quarter? We're not going to do the whole list. We're going to, and it was, John, what do you think they are? He didn't tell me. I said, you know, John, I think it's this and this. He goes, great. I had to show up and give him an update. What I'd done since the last week, give him a personal update on things are going outside of work and inside work and what I'm going to be doing this week and where I may be stuck and I could use his help. And I started then doing that with every direct report I've ever had, including right now. And a minimum we meet every month and we're having a, a check-in and a coaching conversation that has nothing to do with what's in the project management system or the task system. Yeah. It's about them. I love that. And I tell you what, if somebody, if people can adopt that, I shared that with a chief operating officer from a company. He was appalled that I would take that much time for my people. I'm like, you know, thank you, Lord. I don't work for you. Yeah. Yeah. I'm telling you, Mark, I was like taken aback at his reaction. He couldn't believe it. He was adamantly against it. And I've seen such incredible results uh, with that approach. And you know, that investment in time will have a multiplier effect that you you can't probably even measure. I don't even think it's possible, but you know it's there. And all it means is you are being human. You didn't have right. to go to school to learn that. You didn't have to have a fancy degree to learn how to be human and treat people the way you're, you know, the golden rule that, that you'd want to be treated, Right. And so that's a wonderful story and a wonderful model for your listeners and why I call this the purposeful growth revolution, mm-hmm. because it may have started uh, with you uh, several years ago. And I had a similar example with a mentor of mine, and that's kind of helped shape my leadership style through the years. And I've, I'm far from perfect. I learn every day and that's okay, right? We're, we're all human. We're all imperfect. But if we strive to be better every single day, and look at people through a lens of love, the way I know my God looks at me, then all of a sudden we're going to talk to them differently. We're going to give them more of our time. We're going to give them grace if they say something or write something that's uncharacteristic of who I I believe their heart suggests they are. And then they're going to give us grace when we mess up and we say something maybe out of character for who we are. And so that example you shared with me and your listeners was gold and it didn't cost you any money or your, your other, you know, your, your mentor, any money. It just cost a little bit of time. And we say, well, time is money. Okay. It is. But then look at the multiplier, the investment of that time and what it's done for you. Because now years later, you're telling this to what 20 some thousand listeners. And I've done it with all my team and they've done it with their teams. Talk about, talk about credit. He created a legacy just how he showed up and valued me because he actually saw something in me at the time I I was having problems seeing myself. He saw that I actually could lead at a higher level and move up into a position with a lot more responsibility. And I was struggling with honestly that, that if that was something I could succeed at. And when he started doing this to me, it was him loud and clear saying, no, John, I believe in you. And And you know what? We rise to that level of others, that expectation. And that's back in the love model, not only listening and observing you and giving you coaching and encouragement in real time, but he was valuing you. 
and not just as a person, but valuing the role that you could play within the organization. And then he was empowering you to grow up into that role, into that future vision. Hey, when we got on that bike as kids, you know, we saw other people riding bikes, but we maybe had some fear like, well, maybe I can't do this. <laughs> and then we had encouragement, you know, and people said, now you can do the Mark, you can do it. Get on the bike and here's what you do. You know, hold on the steering wheel. You're going to pedal. And then here's where the brake is. Because if you start getting sideways, you're going to want to brake and stop and start over. And then I'm going to get you started, but you're going to pedal yourself. Right? That's what that gentleman was doing for you. And you didn't even know it. He was encouraging and empowering you to be even better than you thought you were capable of being. So given all that, Mark, how do people find you, get in touch with you? What's your website? How do they? Yeah. Well, first of all, and you asked the question, um, you know, practical, how do we do this? How do we join individual and, and company purpose? Um, I invite you to go to my website, which is markamears.com. And there on the homepage, you'll find a purposeful growth self-assessment. And it takes about five or six minutes uh, to answer the questions, but it will objectively tell you where you stand with this concept of purposeful growth. And it goes through the four key sections of my book. And then when you're done, you can immediately download a customized version of your report as a PDF. So that's a place to get your journey started on not only where you stand on the concept of purposeful growth, but how is the company you work for uh, set up to help get you where you'd like to go? And then I love connecting with people on LinkedIn. So you can connect with me on LinkedIn, uh, follow me. I have a monthly newsletter, but uh, I want to learn from you as well. So let's get connected. Let's you know build a relationship and let's learn from each other. I love and the that. book is related is on Amazon. So love it if you'd pick up a copy, The Purposeful Growth Revolution, Four Ways to Grow from Leader to Legacy Builder. Leader to legacy builder. And, and, you know, Mark, as we wrap up, just everybody out there listening, what's this final piece of advice do you have for everybody? Well, that's a good question. Um, yeah, uh, dating myself, there was a great movie, maybe back in the 90s, called Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. And uh, Alec Baldwin was this, uh, you know, command and control sales guy out of New York. And he had a whole team of people doing telemarketing and selling you know, uh, investments and land and whatnot. It was Jack Lemon. There were some other notable people. And he got up on the board and he's teaching these people about sales and he writes up their ABC. And people are looking at that. He says, ABC, the ABCs of sales always be closing. And I changed the last C to curious. So my advice to you and your listeners is always be curious. Ask questions. Ask the question behind the question and the one behind that. And be a lifelong learner because none of us know it all. We, you and I both have written books. And I tell you that my love model came after the book was published, right? So we're always learning how to take things and grow and always want to grow up into our purpose. And the way to do that is by being curious. Always be curious, folks. I think if you have a curious and a learning mindset versus a critical or a judgmental mindset of either others or yourself, those two different places to operate have completely different results. So I love that you kind of landed there. So Mark, keep up the great work, man. I loved our conversation and thank you for the work you're doing in the world. Hey, John, thank you. And to your listeners, God bless you. Your debt has been paid. <laughs>